I'm going to ask you to greet one another in a moment, but before you do, I'd like you to think about this question. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? It doesn't have to be one of the standard comic book ones. Just could be just yours. Now, turn around, greet one another, and tell them what your superpower would be. Any interesting uh, superpowers out there? Joel wants the power to stop time. Time travel, forward or backward? Both. To fly. I would like to fly. How many of you can fly in your dreams? Yeah, I can fly in my dreams. But I can't run. Like Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the key to flying is to fall and to miss the ground. (laughs) My superpower would be the seven-second delay. I would be seven-second delay man. Like the live radio shows, everything goes out on a seven-second delay. So somebody really blows it when they're talking, they can bleep it. Imagine all the things we could correct with just seven seconds. I'm the seven-second delay man. My sidekick is the... Control-Alt-Delete boy. Anyway. I thought about going into the future, too, because I thought, wouldn't it be great if you could explore every possible decision you're trying to make and just go forward enough to say, would this work out? But we can't do that. And that was my idea behind the seven-second delay, man. Just redo. But we can't do those things. We're left each day with the choices we have in front of us. Moment by moment. Some of them choices that seem very minor. Some of them choices that are huge and life-altering. Every one of those choices matters in some way, even the little ones. And that's what we've been learning. Just by way of review, last week we looked at this passage from Deuteronomy 30. Is it up there for me? Here we go. This is really our theme passage where Moses is looking at this new generation that's about to finally head into the promised land. Their parents, the generation that came before them, made all the wrong choices to the point where they missed out on what God had put in front of them. If you follow me, if you obey me, I'm going to give you the promised land. Well, they didn't get there. The next generation is going to. And so Moses teaches them about all the things that they're to do as they go forward. And then he summarizes by saying, look what I've done for you today. Look how simple I've made it. I've given you life and prosperity versus death and destruction, blessing versus cursing. And then he roots for them and says, choose life. So the main idea of this study is that we have patterns of decision-making, patterns of choices in our life that either take us down the path of God's plan for us, which is a plan for life. Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, plans to prosper you, plans of a hope and a future. Jesus called that life that he came to give us from the Father eternal and abundant. That's one path that our choices can take us down. But then there's another path, another pattern of choices that is is a pattern of death, ultimate death, eternal death, death of relationships, friendships, dreams. You know, there's so many ways that our bad choices can lead us down a path that takes us away from life, blessings or cursings. Is there a way that Scripture 
provides us with tools, with understanding in order to, to line up our lives so that the choices we make by habit are in tune with the life God has for us. One thing I know all of us want, every person wants in life, is happiness. Believe it or not, that's God's goal for us. Somewhere along the line, Christianity turned into this idea that I have to relinquish happiness in order to follow Jesus, that happiness is something I'll get in heaven. Yeah, the Bible says I need to take up my cross and follow him, but why do I do that? To find life. To find what life? Life abundant, life eternal. And if I find that, what will I have? According to Peter, I will have an expressible and glorious joy. I will have a living hope. We think it's either happiness now or happiness later. That's not how God says it. There's only a path that is towards life and happiness and blessing, both now and forever. And there is a path that may appear to be fulfilling, but in the end, it brings us to death. What I'm going to talk about today is one of the things that God provides us that is supernatural. In fact, it's a superpower. It's a superpower compared to the way most people go about making their choices because it's divinely given, and if we have it, it transforms our ability to see the future in terms of the outcome of our decisions. That superpower is called wisdom, and it's severely lacking in culture today. We confuse wisdom with knowledge, with understanding. Wisdom is something altogether different. Knowledge is facts and know-how and steps, information, procedure. That's knowledge. Understanding is the person that can look at all those different things and get the big picture. Oh, I see it all. That's understanding. But wisdom is something bigger than that. Wisdom carries with it an eternal focus, a moral discernment, a Holy Spirit-guided view of things that lets us look beyond how things happen and what has to happen to the implications of them. Wisdom is so important to the Christian experience. It's so important to God He gave us a whole book on it, and that's the book of Proverbs. We're going to spend some time in Proverbs chapter 2 today, so I'm going to encourage you to turn there with me. Let me just lay the context here before we read it. Proverbs is written by Solomon, and you may remember Solomon's story. David was increasing in age, and he was no longer able to rule his kingdom. There had been a plot, and someone else had come in and been placed on the throne, but it was David's wishes that Solomon be put on the throne. So 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2 is about that whole intrigue and Solomon ending up finally solidifying his rule. Then you get to chapter 3. Solomon goes to great expense to worship God. So God comes to him and says, what is it that you want? I'll give you anything. Solomon asked for one thing. He could have asked for riches. He could have asked for power. He could have asked for protection. He asked for for wisdom. And you know the story. God blessed Israel under Solomon to where it reached its highest level of influence and power. Solomon's wisdom was renowned around the world. See, the moral of that story is that wisdom is the path to every right choice, to every success, to every blessing. Behind it is godly wisdom. The book of Proverbs is written from the perspective of a father speaking to a young man who's coming of age. 
but in that context as eternal truth for all of us about wisdom. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who, whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and, and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk the dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God, for her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus, you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Just want to take this chapter apart, the thesis section of the book of Proverbs. And the first thing we see is that finding wisdom, as important as it is, requires dedication. If you like marking up your Bible, I've put a circle in the first five verses around these phrases, turning your ear, applying your heart, calling out, verse 3, crying out, verse 4, look for it as for silver, search for it as for hidden treasure. You get the idea here? If you want to know how to make godly choices, you need to make gaining wisdom a number one priority in your life. You need to see it as something more valuable than anything you will ever possess, than any retirement plan, than any job security, than any other relationship. It needs to be that important to you. Let's go on and look at what that will do. If you look at verse 6, the promise is that if, if we do that, the Lord gives wisdom and knowledge. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. He guards the course of the just, protects the way of the faithful ones. So the idea here is that this whole path that has God's blessing that leads us to life is found for those who have gained wisdom. Now, an important clarification when we come to the book of Proverbs. Wisdom literature is about the likelihood of life. When you come to the book of Proverbs, it says things, for instance, train up a child in the way they will go, and in the end they will not depart from it. That's a wisdom statement, not a word of prophecy. It's wisdom. What it's saying is this is how life generally goes. Train up a child right in the end, they'll stay true to their faith. But we have all witnessed, I certainly have witnessed families where they've raised their, their children better than I've raised mine, but yet those children have gone off and made 
choices that led them down a path of death in some way. So if we abuse wisdom literature and turn it into prophecy, as though thus saith the Lord, these things must happen, then what we do is we turn and we judge the parents. We say, well, look how the child did. The parents must have blown it. See, we actually dishonor Scripture when we don't take Scripture for how it was intended. Proverbs is wisdom literature. It teaches us that if you do this, this is generally how life is set up to go. It's not to say that exceptions don't happen. See, when you're in prophetic literature, when somebody says, thus saith the Lord, if this, then that, then those things we count on completely, that's the difference between wisdom and prophecy. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that being said, let's go on and talk now about what happens as a result of pursuing wisdom. Finding wisdom requires dedication, but finding wisdom results in three things. The first thing, verse 9 and following, is direction, which is wisdom for our paths. You will understand what is just and right and fair and every good path. So this divine superpower from God gives us the ability to look at the path in front of us and the choices and to discern what is the correct path to take. That's the first thing, direction. The second thing that results from wisdom is discernment. That's verse 12. Wisdom will save you from the ways of the wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways. Discernment is wisdom about people. It's another byproduct of godly wisdom. Not only are you able to get direction for your life and make good choices, see through those choices to the eternal realities, you're also able to see into people with a spiritual insight. Who is it that I'm going to let speak into and shape my life? I'm going to enter into their activity. Discernment. And then the third is discretion, and that's wisdom over our passions. It will save you from the adulteress who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant. Her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of dead. It's interesting. When you hear Solomon writing about all these things, he obviously sees them clearly. Great descriptives, and you go, well, who would ever choose those things? But see, the reality is we all make wrong choices in our life. We all misjudge people so we get used and taken advantage of and misled. We all do that. We all fall into our passions and make bad choices. So when Solomon describes them, we go, I I would never do those things, but we do every day. We don't see them that clearly because we're caught up with other desires clouding our way. Wisdom disperses that fog and lets us see them for what they are. See, So that's what wisdom does. It results in direction, discernment, and discretion. And that's why, go with me to chapter 4, and we're going to pick up at verse 5. What Solomon is attempting to suggest is that this son sees wisdom as the great love of his life. Look how he he uses that imagery beginning in verse 5 of chapter 4. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. 
Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Esteem her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will set you a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. This is how precious wisdom is. Nothing else I have is worth holding on to in the pursuit of it. It is the most valued and precious possession. Though it costs me everything I have, find wisdom. Why? Because wisdom is the path to life. It's the path to choices that bring blessing, bring us into God's plan and purpose for us. Become a lover of wisdom. We're so busy gaining knowledge and information and tools and, and equipment for life and for our projects that we think we've got all we need when, in fact, we're ignorant of the ways of God. We are not in tune to his leading, all of us. We need to become more than ever students of wisdom, lovers of it. So that being said, so far you've told me it's important. You've talked to me about the priority, the results of wisdom if I gain it. How do I get it? How do you actually get this divine superpower? I've got the answer for you. I'm going to give it to you right now. Ready? Ask for it. Step number one. Ask for wisdom. Let's say this together from James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. It's James who in the same passage says, you have not because you ask not. And then he says, then when you ask, you don't receive because you ask for the wrong reasons. So here is an interesting thing. If I'm asking God for wisdom because my goal is my own self-satisfaction, the ability to make my plans work for me, and I'm still very selfish about it, and I see God's wisdom as just another tool for me to direct my life and my path, you're not going to get it. <laughs> we ask for wisdom because we're devoted to seeking the path that God has for us. See? But we ask, and the Bible says God gives it to us. You know, it would be an interesting thing for us to discuss why we don't ask for wisdom more often. Could it be that in a lot of our choices we frankly don't want God butting in? Can we just go about living our life any way we want and only when we come to the big issues get on our knees and say, Oh, Father, give us wisdom. We need to be on our knees every day saying, God, give me wisdom for this day. Give me wisdom for life. Give me wisdom to find your path What's the difference between Solomon and you and me? He asked for wisdom. <laughs> Ask. But I want to offer a second starting point for wisdom because wisdom is really a lifelong journey. But there is a place to begin our journey, and that's in God himself. That's the idea of Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Here is the basic idea. Everything we need to know about what is right and wrong, what is noble, what is glorious, is found in the person and character of God. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear is that holy reverence. Not fear as in uh, fear of harm, that uh, terror idea that we often think of. Fear as in a great reverence for who God is, that he sits over the creation of all, but yet he condescends to interact and to engage in relationship with you and me, and he calls us into life at the heart of which is a passionate relationship with him. And that's where wisdom can be found. Go back with me now to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And I'm going to show you where this shows up in this key text about making wise choices, choosing life versus death. We're going to pick it up at uh, verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Here again is the primary idea. But then he goes on and he expands what it is he's put before them. This path towards life. What is it? Verse 16. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. So I want to suggest to you that the pursuit of God, practicing reverential awe, is rooted in three primary things that we're to do related to God. The first one is the easy one. Love God. Love Him with all your heart, which means He needs to be your primary affection. This is so hard for us. We use the phrase love of God, but it becomes something that's almost intangible when the reality is we do love human relationships more, we love our possessions more. You know why? Because we touch them. We interact with them. They give back to us in a tangible way. Our affections, in reality, are more strongly placed in what God has given us than in God himself. This is the constant battle within us, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It takes every piece of you. You want to make right choices? The first question is, is God the central love of your life? If not, then your desire to make right choices from the Bible is just an attempt to get your way through biblical principles, and it'll never happen. On your notes, I've given you an opportunity to do a little self-test based on these three things. You see, just below the first point on the back, love your God, you'll see a line that ranges from all the way to the left being, God has little place in helping shape my day-to-day life, to the far right being more of what we would say is the ideal, my daily life is arranged around my love affair with God. I'd like you just to sit and put a mark someplace on that line between you're living completely for yourself or your life is completely shaped by your love affair with God. Where do you think you lie in that? Go ahead, take a moment. So the first way we find wisdom in our relationship and pursuit of God is in loving Him. But the second way we do it is by imitating Him. That's what he means by walk in His ways. Like a little child whose father's walking on a beach and the footprints are there and the little child's jumping from one to the other 
trying to just fit his papa's shoes. That's what we are to be with God. What is true of God, we want to be true of us. It's that classic phrase taken to its ultimate place. When I grow up, I want to be just like Abba. What would my father do? That's what I need to do. There is no right choice in life. There is no wisdom that does not first consider the character, nature, and desires of God himself in a way that they become my character, my nature, and my desires. I'd like you to look at the little self-test I've given you below that. The worst case would be, I have not made it a priority to learn who God is. See, the more you know God, the more you can be like him. How are you doing on that? Would you say you actually know God? You understand who he is, his nature, his character, what he wants and how he acts in certain ways? Do you spend time in God's word getting to know those things or are you, are you going about it by trial and error? The best case is I have a clear understanding of who God is and therefore it guides me in living a life that imitates him. Just take a minute and give yourself a grade. So wisdom is found in our pursuit of God, first of all, by loving him. Our love affair with God shaping every priority, every moment of our day. It's found in, as we grow to know him, letting that shape who we are, imitating God. And the third thing is, and this is the hard one, don't bother asking God to show you his plan. Don't bother asking him for wisdom if you're not willing to actually obey him. The assumption that I want to know God's will and purpose for my life is that when found, I'm willing to obey it. Let's read what he says about that, continuing in verse 16. Uh, Love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Now, here's, here's one of the things that I find really interesting about people. We're all very interested in God's will for our life around big decisions if we're Christians. But many of us are not paying attention to the little things that God has clearly said are his will for us and aren't obeying those things on a routine basis. There's a serious inconsistency with that. Let me give just one example. Let's presume that a a family has been particularly blessed financially and they uh, are considered. Now, I know there's there's some folk here with that, and please, I'm not saying that that is in itself a bad choice. I think it can be a wonderful choice. But when they say, I'm I'm really praying about whether God wants me to do this, you know the first thing I want to ask them? I want to ask, are they giving God what's God's financially? Because God's will is clear about that. And if a person isn't yet obeying God in terms of using the abundance of what God's given us to bless others and to expand his kingdom, then please don't bother asking God for wisdom about buying the second house. You see my point? It's not to say that if all those things are done that there might not be a time and an opportunity to make certain purchases that are fine that can also be used for the kingdom as well as for your own pleasure but not at the expense of what God has clearly already said is his will. Be willing to obey. This is where our wants and God's wants get in conflict with each other. 
And this is where we actually have to prove if we trust God enough that obeying Him is the true path to life, abundance, happiness, and joy. Obey God. Keep His commands. Look at the bottom real quick here. And here is the little personality test. Worst case scenario would be, I see God's commands as an obstacle to my happiness. (laughs) Think about that. Best case, I fully embrace God's word and gladly obey it. Where are you on that continuum? Just take a moment and put a little honest mark there on the line. Okay, so have you done that? Now here's what I want all of you to do. Take the marks you've put on those lines and then just look at that and say, okay, so these are growth paths towards wisdom. Don't see them as failures. Just see them as an honest assessment of where you are and the growth path for you in terms of your pursuit of wisdom. And take a step. Take a step towards wisdom in all those areas. Right? Let's just look at this verse one more time and let's say it together. Look what I've done for you today. I've placed in front of you life and prosperity, death and destruction, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Father, that's what we want the pattern of our life to be. We want to be so caught up with who you are. We want our love for you to transform us so that our life moves in the direction that is you. We ask for wisdom. But we ask for wisdom mindful of the responsibility of that request. We ask for wisdom, Father, so we might fully obey and follow a path for your glory and for our eternal blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.